Well, good morning and welcome to Cross Point Church. Whether you are here in Sioux Falls or you're, like we've said before, you're somewhere out there in cyberspace, we're, we're really grateful and thankful that you chose and took the time to worship with us this morning. We find ourselves in, uh, well, we find ourselves in this same, I'll call it a frustrating situation that because of the coronavirus, we're not allowed to gather together on Sunday morning. And as I think about it, you know, and I've said this two or three weeks ago, just because there's 50,000 other churches out there in the United States that are going through the same thing, it really doesn't make it any easier for all of us. But we have these words from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. For where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with them. So we remind ourselves that even though we can't be together on Sunday morning, Jesus is still with us. The same Jesus who's with us when we do come together on Sunday morning is the same Jesus who's with us when we're separated. So we have a lot to be grateful for. I want to thank Trey for his message last week from 1 Peter. He did a great job. And if you haven't connected with him and told him thank you or sent him a text or an email, make sure you do that. I, I sure appreciated all the work he did. This morning, we remind ourselves again that God is in absolute control. He is and always has been and always will be in absolute control. There are now approximately, if I look this up correctly, there are approximately 3 million people around the world who have now been diagnosed with the coronavirus. And there have been 200,000 people around the world who have died. But have no doubt, God is still in absolute control. I'd like you to take your Bibles. Let's take a minute, grab your Bibles, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. I want to read two verses from Matthew 10, verses 29 and 30. This is what God's Word says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your Father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Now let's just step back and think about this for a minute. Imagine that you were in your backyard trying to count the number of sparrows in the trees behind your house. You know, and I can just about picture that. I can picture what it would be like. You go back there and there's two or three trees right behind your house and you're counting the sparrows. One, two, three, four, five. Well, no, and then about the time you get four or five of them counted, one flies off and two more fly in and then you've got the tree next to that. And, you know, it doesn't take long to realize it's impossible. It's impossible to count the sparrows in your backyard. Just imagine what it would be like to try and count the sparrows on the block where you live or in the city of Sioux Falls. It's impossible. Imagine trying to count the hairs on your head. Some of us who are losing our hair, the job might seem to be a little easier than somebody with long shaggy hair. But even if you had one of those magnifying mirrors that you could get real close, it's impossible 
that count the number of hairs on your head. And, and yet God knows both of those things at the same time. He knows exactly how many sparrows there are. The, the passage in Matthew tells us that he even knows when one sparrow falls to the ground. He knows exactly how many sparrows there are in your backyard, in the city of Sioux Falls, in North America, in China, in Scandinavia, in Asia. He knows exactly how many sparrows there are, and he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head and my head and everyone else's head, and he knows all that at the same time. And it is that God, let's understand this, it's that God who knows all those little details about all those things that seem like they don't even matter. It's that God who's in absolute control of everything that happens. So as we come together this morning, well, I'm sure there are some of us who are a bit nervous and anxious about what's happening in the world today. If we, if we take the time to just pause from our busyness, we realize that most of us have those moments when we're anxious and concerned about what's happening. But God is still in control. And He wants us to not just trust Him, He wants us to trust Him completely. So in your Bibles... I'd like you to turn to another passage. Turn with me to the book of Philippians. And I'd like to read two verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This is from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And Paul says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God has everything in control. Even, even in those moments when things make little or no sense to you and I, God is still in absolute control. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in this passage, especially in verse 7, when he says that the things that well, one translation says, when the things that transcend all understanding, another translation says, when those things that pass above and beyond anything we could imagine, when things make no sense to us, God is still in control. And he promises to care for us and protect us and bring and allow peace to come into our lives. So this morning... Let's take a moment and let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you continue to love us and care for us. And as we gather together on Sunday morning, we ask that you would remove our anxiety and replace it with confidence. That you remove our fear and replace it with trust. That you remove our worry and replace it with faith. We ask, Lord God, that through the craziness of this thing that we call the coronavirus, that even in the midst of that, that you would draw each of us into a closer relationship with you. Help us, God. Help us over the next few minutes 
to forget about all that's happening around us and to look quietly into your word and to listen to what your word tells us and to do our best to apply these truths to our life. And today again, we thank you for sending Jesus into our world. And we thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning is April 26th, April 26th, 2020. Sharon and I are both from Minnesota, and April 26th is a particularly important day in Minnesota history. It was on this date in April 26th, let's go back to 1877. It was on this date when the entire state of Minnesota stopped from what they were doing in order to observe what they called a statewide day of prayer. April 26th, 1877. Four years before that, in June of 1873, farmers in southwest Minnesota looked to the western sky. Now, this is in June of 1873. Farmers in southwest Minnesota looked to the west and they thought they saw a snowstorm coming in June. But as they stood there in their fields that day, they realized it wasn't a snowstorm that was coming. It was grasshoppers. And the sky was so thick that they couldn't see through it. In a matter of hours, crops that were at that point knee-high all the grass and all the wheat, all the corn, everything had been eaten to the ground. But what happened in June of 1873, that was just the beginning. Let me just walk our way through those years from 1873, 74, 75, 76, and then 1877 with the statewide day of prayer. Over those years, grasshoppers destroyed five hundred thousand acres of crops. For those of you who grew up on a farm, or for those of you who are still live on a farm, you could imagine the impact of losing the crops that covered 500,000 acres. Grasshoppers, or well at that time there were scientists who called grasshoppers Rocky Mountain locusts. They were not new to Minnesota. They'd been there before, but prior to 1873 it seemed like they came and they stayed a few days and then they left. But in 1873, they didn't leave. They came from Dakota, and they came from Iowa. And they laid their eggs deep in that rich Minnesota soil, and they did their best. Those grasshoppers did their best to destroy every living plant in southern Minnesota. And the farmers did their best to destroy the grasshoppers. They did their best to destroy the grasshopper eggs that were laid every spring in that rich Minnesota soil so that there would be fewer grasshoppers alive during the next crop. But each year until 1877, the grasshopper plague developed and went farther and farther into the state of Minnesota. The farmers tried everything they could think of, and I went back this last week and I reread some of that history, some of the unique things they did to try and get rid of the grasshoppers. It wasn't just the farmer, it was the farmer and his wife and all the kids that lived on those farms. 
They all worked hard to get rid of the grasshoppers. Some of the things they did were they took branches with leaves and they would literally walk through every field that they owned and they would help their neighbors and they were all in this together and they would beat the ground with those branches trying to kill as many grasshoppers as they could. But they couldn't kill them all. They even decided to raise more chickens. They discovered that chickens will actually eat grasshoppers. But they couldn't raise enough chickens to eat all those grasshoppers. And every year there were more than the year before. There was a couple other things they did that I thought were really creative. They, at one point, farmers, many of the farmers, would dig a complete ditch around their farm. And they would put coal in that ditch and as they lit it on fire, their plan was that the smoke that was completely encircling their crop, they were hoping that the smoke would drive the grasshoppers away. But it didn't happen. And then one of the most creative things that they tried, at least in my opinion, was they got big pieces of sheet metal. And on that sheet metal, they would put molasses and tar. And then they would put a rope on the piece of sheet metal and they would walk through the fields. The farmer and his wife and all the kids, everybody was a part of this. And they would pull those pieces of sheet metal with the molasses and tar. And as they walked through the field, grasshoppers would naturally jump on top of those pieces of sheet metal and they would stick to the molasses and tar. And then when they got to the end of the field, they would scrape all that up into big piles and then they'd burn the piles. But it wasn't enough. The grasshoppers just kept multiplying and growing, and there were more grasshoppers than the year before. Nothing succeeded in getting rid of the grasshoppers until in 1877 when Minnesota's governor, John Pillsbury, the same Pillsbury from the food plant there in Minneapolis, Governor John Pillsbury declared that Thursday... April 26th would be a statewide day of prayer. Now history tells us that 1877 was an interesting year when it came to weather. The spring of 1877 came early that year. It came early, much earlier than normal. And the frost left and the ground began to warm up and all those all those grasshopper eggs began to hatch and turn into larvae much earlier than, a, than on an average year. And uh, then on April 28th of 1877, now that would be two days after that statewide prayer meeting, Minnesota was hit by a, well, a very strange late-in-the-season snowstorm. And it, it caused the temperature to drop and all those grasshopper eggs were killed. The few eggs that were not destroyed eventually hatched, but a month or two later, all the grasshoppers that had not been killed in the snowstorm all flew away. If you want to read about the story, you can read Laura Ingalls Wilder book on the banks of Plum Creek, where she tells and retells the story of the grasshopper plague. And many of the people in Minnesota attributed the end of the grasshopper plague to the hearing and then to God hearing and then answering their, their nonstop praying on April 26th. They gave the credit to God 
that he heard and answered their numerous and continuous prayers. It would have been interesting for us if we could somehow go back and listen to the stories of how people explained what happened in 1877. But over and over again, they told the story of how God heard their prayers and answered their prayers. I want you to imagine with me what that would have been like. Imagine a God who loves us so much that he would orchestrate the details to send warm weather earlier in the spring than normal, just so grasshopper eggs would hatch. And he did that in, in response to, to prayers that had not even been offered yet. Remember, the statewide day of prayer was going to be on April 26th. But even before that happened, God sends warm weather so the frost leaves and the ground thaws and all the grasshopper eggs hatch. And then after the eggs hatch, he sends a later than normal snowstorm so all the surviving larvae would be frozen and killed. Imagine a God who cares that much about his people and the details of their life. But because God knows everything, including things that have not yet happened, he knew that the people in Minnesota were going to have a statewide prayer gathering on April 26. Now, in your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5, and let's read the first five verses. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Look at verse 3. Look at what it says. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. What if we remove the word sufferings in verse 3 and we replaced it with the word coronavirus? Let's, let's read the verse again. Not only so, but we also glory in the coronavirus because we know that the coronavirus produces Perseverance. Now let me ask a couple questions, and all the questions start out with the same two words. What if? What if the only reason that God allowed the coronavirus, let's just take a minute here now, what if the only reason that God has allowed the coronavirus, just for a moment, forget about all those news stories of what you want to think or believe about the the lab in Wuhan, China. Just forget all of that for a minute. Because God's still in control in China just as much as he's in control here in the United States. But what if, here's our question, what if the only reason God allowed the coronavirus 
was to help you and I develop a more consistent prayer life and become more mature in our relationship with Jesus. What if the only reason God allowed the coronavirus to develop was because of his great and never-ending love for us and his desire that we develop a greater love and appreciation for him? What if that's the only reason that the coronavirus exists? The only reason. The Greek word in Romans chapter 5-3, which is translated as, and you'll have to look in your Bibles now for this. Some translations use the word perseverance. Some translations use the word endurance. If I remember correctly, the King James Bible uses the word patience. And if I remember also correctly, those are the only three choices for how that word is translated. Perseverance, endurance, and patience. The word means this. It means to persist with tenacity and stubbornness. It's sort of a, a word that has a bulldog mentality that it's going to hang on and it, it's not going to let go. The word perseverance or endurance or patience in that verse 5.3. It means to persist with tenacity and stubbornness, the ability to continue working in the face of strong opposition and great obstacles. And that, my friends, is how God wants you and I to pray. With tenacity and with stubbornness. Sharon and I had a situation in our life, oh, I'll go back uh, 10 years ago, and I'm not going to share the exact details of this event over the internet, but we had a situation in our life that, well, I would say it required our prayer, but we didn't look at it as a hardship. We looked at it as a privilege, an opportunity to bring this request before God. And we started to pray, and we prayed hard. And in fact, we've been married now for 40 40, uh, five, 46 years, and Sharon's going to watch this and wonder if I got that right. We've been married for 46 years, and I don't think there's ever been a situation in our lives in the 46 years we've been married where we prayed with tenacity and perseverance like we prayed for that situation. And we would get reports from the person in this situation from time to time. And... Uh, Day after day after day, as often as we asked for an update, it was always disappointing news. It was as though God wasn't even listening. But we kept praying. And our hearts were broken and crushed over this situation. And we just kept praying. And every so many days, we'd get an update, we'd get a report, and now there's no change. There's, there's no way. We were told there's no way that this is going to happen, the heart, our heart's desire. It just wasn't going to happen because there were things in place, in situation, and, and, uh, but we kept praying, and we prayed hard, and we prayed day after day after day. And the only reports we got were they were not good. We were not going to get what we were praying for. Well, we, it didn't matter. We kept praying and praying and praying. We prayed every day. And I can tell you this, we prayed every day for 187 days. 
And on the 187th day, God said yes. He answered our prayer. I honestly believe that God orchestrated the details and changed things that were already in place because Sharon and I and dozens and dozens of other people were praying for this very specific thing. Sharon and I are in a habit of, we pray. We pray together every morning. We pray together every night. And we've been doing that every day for 46 years. But we have never in 46 years prayed with the perseverance and the tenacity and the stubbornness. We refused to stop praying. This Greek word in Romans 5.3 that ends up being translated as perseverance or endurance is a word that's used to describe the process of testing precious metals such as silver and gold in order to identify their purity. Now, now just think about this with me. What if God is using this situation, this coronavirus, what if he's using that to test the quality of our maturity? And to try and identify, although he already knows, but he wants us to identify in our own hearts. How much do we trust him? How much are we trusting ourselves? If this is the word, and it is, that's used to identify the quality of precious metals, we could say that this is the same word that's used to identify the quality of our maturity and faith in Christ. Pastor John MacArthur, who's a pastor in Southern California, he says this about that verse. He says when, let me just read what it says, when Christians experience tribulations that demand perseverance, and friends, we are in one of those situations right now with the virus. This demands our perseverance. It's, he said this, that perseverance in turn produces in them proven spiritual character. Just as a metalsmith, excuse me, just as a metalsmith uses intense heat to melt silver and gold in order to cleanse them of physical impurities, that's how God uses tribulations in our life to cleanse us from spiritual impurities. I've shared this with you before, that Sharon and I are praying. We try to pray every day, asking God to draw us closer to him because of this virus. And our prayer also is for you as well. We're asking God to draw people everywhere closer to him because of this virus. Now, let me give you another question with the same two words. What if? What if the whole reason that God allows the coronavirus to come into our existence was to get our attention physically? in order to purify us spiritually? What if that's the only reason this, this virus exists? What if what the world needs most, what if what the world needs most right now is not a vaccine and not more ventilators, and we don't need more doctors and nurses and hospitals, but what if what we really need is to be in a closer relationship with God? What if that's what we really need? And what if the only way to develop that relationship was through persevering in prayer? Not the kind of prayer where we shout out, God help me, once or twice every six months. But what if we commit ourselves to praying daily, day after day after day, 
asking God to do his work in our lives, whether it's with the virus or without the virus. But what if a day after day, week after week, month after month, until this coronavirus is under control? And, and what if that's what God is looking for? He's looking for people who will pray with perseverance. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap if we do not give up. What if we do give up? We're going to miss all those blessings. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we persevere. Or Hebrews 12.1, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. What if, let's go back in time, What if, in 1873, the people in Minnesota had been so consumed with their own worldly pursuits that they had little or no time for God, so God brought the grasshoppers just to get their attention? And then four years later, what, what if, what if in 1877, the people in Minnesota thought that praying was just, just a waste of time. What if? What if in 2020, the people in the United States think that praying with perseverance is a waste of time? What if? What if the coronavirus stays? I mean, you watch the news, everybody's getting excited, we're all going to get back to normal, whatever that means. What, what, if, what if the coronavirus stays? What if they never find a vaccine? What if it stays? Not until we find a vaccine, but what if it stays until we as a nation repent of our sin and begin to pray with perseverance, with tenacity and stubbornness, in the face of strong opposition and great obstacles. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we continue to walk through this battle of the coronavirus, we ask God that you would do what only you can do. We ask that you would continue to give wisdom to President Trump and to Governor Noam and to our mayor, Ken Haken, Lord, give them the wisdom they need to make decisions that impact literally millions of people. Help us, Lord, to be obedient and submit to their authority. Help us to be respectful of them and the things they choose for us. Help us as a church to identify ways that we can encourage and help the people around us who are struggling, both physically and spiritually. And as it says in John 13, 34, help us to love each other. And as it says in Matthew 6, 5, help us to pray for each other. And as it says in Matthew 6, 15, help us to forgive each other. And as it says in Luke 10, 34, help us to care for each other. And as it says in Hebrews 10, 
24 and 25, help us to encourage one another. And as it says in Proverbs 2, 2, help us to make wise choices in how we live our lives. And as it says in Acts 14, 23, help us to put our complete trust in you, not just a little bit of trust, but complete trust in you. And as it says in Luke 6.35, help us to be kind to others, even those people who, who do not demonstrate kindness toward us. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to walk with us and care for us while we're separated from each other on Sunday mornings. Help us to continue looking forward to that day when we can come together as a church. And as we close, I close with this blessing. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. And on behalf of the church family here at Cross Point, we look forward to having you join with us again next Sunday at 1030. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he hold you close. Amen.